right, so I think it's So this is your first call, and you've been doing uh, TMI and other things that sound good, but then you say that you don't like it anymore, <laughs> or something like that. It's something like that. Then, if that's the case, something like that, then that means that... Uh, in a way, you're dissatisfied with your attempt at becoming uh, less dissatisfied. That sounds about right. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you might you wouldn't mind doing an adjustment here and there <laughs> to the practice. I wouldn't. Okay. Basically, what's really going on is, is that uh, the, the practice of purification of the mind uh, is not easily learned from a book. But a lot of skills are like that. Even learning how to sew on a sewing machine requires more than what's in a book. And learning how to play a musical instrument is, is al almost always more than you can learn from a book. And I dare say that mathematics is like that. That in fact, mathematics is such that without a teacher that gives a kid inspiration, kids will never get interested in math. It's when the teacher exactly himself likes the mathematics and likes teaching mathematics to kids, that's when they like it. And then that's when they become good at it. Yeah. All right. So that's also the case with the Dhamma. That uh, it, it really can't be learned from a book. So I'm not criticizing any one particular book. But rather the whole point of that is, is that the practice can't be learned from a book. And not only that, but everybody's making mistakes here and there. And if we don't have anyone to correct those mistakes because we're not reading the book correctly or, or, or whatever, then we all generally, because we're all human, wind up all making the same kind of mistakes. Right. Yeah, that would be the way. And so what you have is you have a collective set of mistakes that are being made, and we have a label for it, and it's called Western Buddhism. And the mistakes that you're making are quite small, and it needs just a tiny little adjustment here and there. And that the way to understand where the adjustments need to be made is by understanding the entire sort of process of what we're going through. And so um, possibly the best way to start is by starting the way that the Buddha did, right from the very core, right from the very guts of it all. When he boiled it down to, he says he only teaches, both before and now, he only teaches one thing, and that is Dukkha Dukkha Naroda. 
Now, when we say dukkha, we normally mean just simply dissatisfaction. We don't mean suffering. That, in fact, there's not a very good definition of dukkha. And so uh, dukkha has actually an opposite to it, and that's sukha. That means when things are, in fact, satisfying. They are good enough. So we have either uh, dissatisfying or we have satisfying. We have dissatisfaction or satisfaction. And that's basically a choice that we make as humans. And what we generally do is make the choice that we're familiar with most. And we're actually in our society taught to make the choice of dissatisfaction. So it is actually quite natural for you to make a little progress in your meditation and then to become dissatisfied with it because that's your habit. That's what you've been doing. But having knowledge of that, we can begin to break these old habits and come back to it to understand that number one getting the mind cleaned out is really 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 worthwhile doing and number two it takes effort because it's pretty messy in there and so when you get those two points together then we begin to get to the point of saying well can I clean it up or do I need help? Do I need a therapist? Do I need a shot? Do I need some Novocaine? Do I need some morphine? <laughs> or do I need Jack Daniels? Whoever it is, I need help. Maybe Jesus can help me. That's where the whole world comes around of wanting help because they don't think that they can get out of their own problem by themselves. This is actually where the second noble truth comes from second noble truth is what is the source of this suffering the answer is is that it's generally manufactured on spot <laughs> it's not an imported raw material it's manufactured right here that's where the suffering is manufactured and so how we so the thing to do is number one is to begin to wake up to see this stuff and then number two, to get ourselves out of it. Now, this is not just a one-two punch that uh, has a long, long term. That you've got to see dukkha, 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 dukkha for a long time and then see no dukkha for a while. It's not like that. It's more like seeing it very quickly and then come out of it very quickly. This is a moment-by-moment, be-here-now situation. That whenever you become free from uh, your mental uh, trash, it's always going to be in the here now that that happens. Okay? And, in fact, that's what you're describing, that you came to a point of saying, wait a minute, I don't like it so much now. Which is just an old habit that we've had, but what you didn't do is wake up to say, aha, I see you, old habit. There's where you got stuck. So you went back to sleep in that uh, rather than continuing to wake up, to continue to see what's going on and to recognize it for what it is. Oh, been there, done that. Seen that before. And so 
basically what we're talking about is anything that would keep you from being in that state of uh, what what did you say? The word that you used was what? Uh, I didn't um, happy feelings. Yeah, the happy feeling. You you yeah. congratulated yourself. Yeah, right. Yeah, Is that, yeah. Okay. So we're looking for the feeling of congratulations. All right. That's the kind of feeling that people lust for their whole lives. Is the feel, and I haven't thought of that word before, but we do think of it in the sense of being a lion or being a winner. And I'm I'm curious as to where you got that concept of congratulating yourself. Uh, for some reason, it seemed like it was the most fitting word. Uh, Pardon? Uh, for some reason, it seemed like it was the most fitting word to what I'm doing. Uh, um, okay. Well, this is what we need to then to start capitalizing on for you, is for you to learn to continue to congratulate yourself over whatever it is that you're seeing. Because the very process of congratulations means that you're coming out of it. Okay. When you can congratulate yourself for seeing something, that's kind of a guarantee that you've come out of it. That's an important point. This is what we mean by taking the right effort. The Buddha, at one point when he was under the bow tree, came up with a phrase that then became actually the heart of his entire teaching. And that's what we're talking about right now. When the Buddha says, Aha! I see you, Mara. And that's actually him congratulating himself. Aha! I see you! Okay? This is that point when we actually change from being stuck in it to seeing that we're stuck in it. It's sort of like that before we see that we're stuck in it, we become it. It's not just we are stuck in it. It is having complete power over us. Okay, an example of that is I am angry or I am sad or I am frustrated. This I am this means whatever I am is not me anymore. It's just anger or whatever. I am angry. Something like this. And here's the anger, right? The anger has got me. I am angry, Grr. or I am frustrated, or I am having a pity party. Poor me, okay? And then we wake up. And that wake up has that quality of congratulations. Aha, I see you. And this disassociates ourselves from that immediately. Mm -hmm. We become disassociated from that feeling of, oh, this is no good. Oh, meditation is a bunch of crap. Yeah, I've been there, done that. I know what meditation is all about. Yeah. Then when you see that thought now, you can say, wait a minute. I see you, Mr. Board Out. That in fact, that's a, um, what that is, is that's a, a thought example of the feeling of boredom. Which means, in fact, what you're bored with is not congratulating yourself. And so that would be a time to congratulate yourself. Aha, I see you, Mr. Boredom. 
And this is what's going to help your practice is that very thing. Now, it's also good over time that you understand the way Anapanasati works. Sort of fill in the holes and the blanks. But you've got the right idea. You're going in the right direction. And it's also good to see how the skills that need to be developed are part and parcel of the Eightfold Noble Path. That when we talk about the path, we're not talking about a path in the sense of some place to go, like the road to paradise. Paradise is not on a road. If paradise is on a road, it would be not much of a paradise. So let's not think about it like that. <laughs> paradise is really far from roads and paths and things. What we really mean is the word method, our way of life a way of living our lives, or, or a method of life, a method of, of going down the road of, of life. This is what actually the Eightfold Noble Path is, and that when we um, practice these items on the Eightfold Noble Path to a high degree, then these things transform from being merely... Um, method items or factors of the path, uh, they become enlightenment factors or the factors of awakening itself. This is the Sambhojana. The seven factors of enlightenment are nothing more than the completion of the Eightfold Noble Path. And the Eightfold Noble Path is nothing but a set of skills that need to be developed. Okay. And Anapanasati that you're talking about is, in fact, the method of developing those skills. Okay, so let's look at those four items on the path that are the most important. Number one always is right view comes first. And as our uh, view, let us say, as our viewpoint lo loses its strength, so does our identity. It's almost like the distinction between a camera that is on a mounted post, because worldwide they've got cameras just mounted places looking. But that's completely different than a camera that can move around and go places. Okay? okay. And so one's right view means that we have to learn to take different viewpoints, that we become mobile in our view rather than fixed. Okay. Another way of looking at that is, is that um, there was a movie where <clears throat> a prisoner escaped in the swamp in Louisiana and the dogs go out sniffing down the trail to try to, tra uh, to trail him. But that movie was done in the 1960s. Nowadays, it'd be no movie at all. They would just take a drone, bring it up, and look where he is. Oh, he's over there, guys. Go get him, right? But unfortunately, uh, they didn't have, well, fortunately, unfortunately, um, this is not the point. Uh, they didn't have the drones back then. And what we're talking about here is using that as a metaphor for changing and being willing to change our views, to will, the willing to change our understanding and ideas of things completely. And so, uh, the, more our, the more our right view becomes noble, 
the more it's firmly established into investigation. See, generally one's right view is established in conclusions, in the sense of this is right and that's wrong, right? Now, right, noble right view is much more, let's investigate again. Let's look at it again. Let's re look at it again. And that whole quality of the right view then brings about these other factors of the path. The first one we want to look at is right noble sati. Now, the word sati can easily be translated as the word to remember, but in English, we have been left with the word mindfulness. And to be honest with you, I never heard of the word mindfulness used anywhere outside of the context of Buddhism, so I don't even know what mindfulness is, but I do understand sati. And sati has the quality of waking up to really look at what's going on. It's like, wow, wow, what was, all right, okay. That's that reaction that I'm talking about. Is, is that it's a wake-up call. Sati is to wake up. It's not necessarily meaning mindfulness in a drowsy kind of way. So I've been telling the students recently, it's like when we wake up in the morning in bed. And when we first wake up, generally what people do is they turn the alarm uh, on to snooze and take another five minutes and kind of go back to sleep. And then at a later time, we actually get up. But we get up only when we really wake up. When we're really waking up, that's when we get out of bed. So is also sati in our meditation practice. In the sense that we want to wake up, not just enough to see what we're thinking. Because a lot of times, people are not even aware of what they're thinking. The mind just buzzes on whether we're paying attention to it or not. So now we're actually not paying, just paying attention to it. We're looking, really looking at it. We're really investigating it. This is really what sati is, is useful for, is a real strong wake-up call so that we're woke, woke up fully. That way we can see what we're looking at and see it as dukkha. This is a hindrance. This is, in fact, telling myself that why bother because I don't see the value in it is the very kind of thoughts that uh, put that in fact they are rooted in a um, in in the mindset of doubt. What am I looking for? I'm kind of confused. I don't know what's what's going on. Uh, I used to like it and now I don't. And so this is a kind of confused state that you're in, that you're in, and that you you can shake your head now. Because you can see it waking up in, in reverse as I talk about it. But next time it happens, you'll say, yep, that's it. I can wake up out of this. I don't have to be in this state. I can wake up to this too. And so as we really fully wake up, then that's when right effort comes into play. Then in fact, the waking up is not just the waking up to see it, it's also the waking up of the right effort to do something about it. And so these things are now skills to be developed. Right sati is in fact the skill to keep waking up and waking up and waking up and stop living in our lives of daydreams and sleep. And to be here now, to be fully awake. I don't know what 
mindfulness is. But sati, I know, is wakey, wakey, get right up. And in that regard, here's um, um, an alternate story. And that is, is that in the military, they have things called boot camp. Have you ever been to boot camp? No, I haven't. But, but you kind of know what I'm talking about, I think. Yeah, I know, okay. I know. All right. So here you have five minutes before Reveille, and the drill instructor comes marching in with his baton, banging it around and yelling at the top of his voice, uh, all hands on deck or whatever that military is. At that point, there's not going to be anybody standing or sleeping still in their bed, right? Everybody's going to get right up and stand to attention. They can do it. They can sleep. They can snap out of their sleep. Well, we need that sometimes in military because, in fact, what the drill instructor is doing is he's teaching that the enemy can come at any moment. Wake up. And what the Buddha is saying, Dukkha can come at any moment. Wake up. Wake up. And so this is the wake-up call, is to wake fully up so that we can see what's going on, and then we can do something about it with right effort. And so the effort has two qualities to it. One is the quality of the breathing, and the other quality is the quality of the mind. So we have to work with the effort, right effort, in the sense of going back to Anapanasati, step one, of taking a long, deep breath. You could almost go so far as to say that the long, deep breath is actually um, a point of sati. When we breathe in, we note that we are breathing in, and we're breathing in long. And then sati, to wake up to know that we're breathing out, and that we're breathing out long. This is actually the way that it's stated in the sutta. Is to, is to understand, to note that the in-breath, when it's an in-breath, and it's a long in-breath, and to note the out-breath, when it's an out-breath, and it's a long out-breath. Okay, this has two qualities to it, and that is, is that one, it actually does help settle the mind down, but two, it also oxygenates the whole body and makes it more alive, and so is the mind. It wakes up the frontal cortex. It also has the quality of being able now to, um, to focus and capture our attention. So long as we say, I'm just mindful of the breathing, then that means that the mind can just easily wander away, sometimes all the way away from the breath. But the more we're paying attention to just the breathing, then the smaller the corral the thinking process can be in. And this is an important and, and good thing. So we actually want to put effort into watching the breath to make sure that it's a long, slow in-breath and a long, slow out-breath so that we begin to play with the breath and become studious of it. So that rather than grabbing one technique from one teacher, you actually want to hear what all of them have to say so that you can fiddle with all of their techniques as if you've got a marvelous toy, a human body that breathes. Wow, what a toy this is. <laughs> and so let's play with it and experiment with it and, and see what it's like with these, these kind of breathing of the long, slow, deep breath. And later we'll talk about the, the short breath. But all of it has to do with understanding the body. 
become fully in touch with the body. And the body and the breathing together is what we call in, uh, in the Burmese uh, Mahasi tradition is the rising, falling, touching sitting. Because the breath rises, the breath falls, the, uh, the touching is the touch of the pulse, the body awareness, everything that's happening that we can sense with the touching. And then the sitting is that we know our posture. And the posture that we're sitting in or lying in or standing in or whatever is known to us at a very basic level and that basic level is actually our ability to balance our whole ability to balance is required because we know what our center of gravity is because we can sense the whole body and this is often quite automatic now but not for little kids Notice what I'm talking about. You had to learn how to do something, and now you don't pay attention to the fact that there's something marvelous going on in this structure of the human body, and we don't pay much attention to it. This is that propioseptic system. It's quite a marvelous uh, thing to learn to understand and to play with the breath and to learn the body. And um, in a way, the body now becomes an antenna that picks up stuff that we used to not paying attention to, but now we've got a receiver hooked up to the body, it winds up being some sort of an antenna that brings in all kinds of information that we actually now can pay attention to. And so this is all done through the breathing and making sure that their long, deep breaths or um, the shorter breath, as I say, we'll talk later. But all of it has to do with getting the body energized, alert, and up to speed. Up, up on top of the situation. So Anapanasati is actually not like many meditations that people think about, a meditation that goes deep. This is not a deep going meditation, this is a coming up out of the depth meditation. And we'll talk more about that later, but right now the whole idea is to brighten the mind, to gladden the mind. And when I say gladden, I'm talking about brightening, and brightening, I'm talking about gladdening. Is let's, let's get it up to speed. It's not like waking up in the morning and the, and the uh, drill instructor or the uh, uh, so, um, sergeant comes by. We don't say, good morning, sergeant. Yes, sir. No, it's like, good morning, sir. Okay. So we need to have that kind of mind that, yeah, I'm here. Yavo, we've got it. That's the kind of oomph that we need to add to the practice to bring us alive. Uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about this state of mind. He calls it making the mind fit for work. And the Buddha talks about it in the sense of having a mind that we can apply to something, like the breathing, and sustain it there. But it's not just the breathing, and in fact, there's a whole lot of stuff to pay attention to, including these thoughts that we want to corral and keep them in the vicinity to not let them wander off into, oh, I don't know why I'm here, I, I'm bored with meditation, oh gosh, I don't know if I can handle this kind of stuff. He said, hey guy, wake up, come back here, <laughs> let's get to work, let's not play in the, uh, in the muck. And so... With this, we can bring that stuff to heal 
And we then can, can easily congratulate ourselves because we've done something actually quite marvelous. Because very few people are in control of their own minds in the world. Very few people even know that they can come into control of their minds. Most people are actually just going along to getting along, both with their own mind and their feelings, and so they wind up being uh, sort of the, uh, the, the horse before the cart. I mean the cart before the horse. That there they are, the cart, dragging their horse around, you know. Like, uh, uh, no, the power comes from, uh, comes from the mind. And the mind is, um, when it's in cloudiness, then it's, it's kind of lost. But by waking up, we can begin to really see what's going on, both inside and outside. And so basically we have two kinds of jobs then to do, and that's one to <clears throat> one is to clean up the inside that's really the inside, and the other one is to clean out the outside, which is actually just more of the inside. What I mean by that is learned behavior, the kind of stuff that did come from the outside, but we kind of think it's me now. And so uh, this is what we refer to as attachments to rites, rules, and rituals, and or we can call it the parent ego state, or it's your to-do list, or it's what you're supposed to do. It's all of your oughts and shoulds and could-ofs and I've got to do it this way, and also somewhere in there is some voice in the back screaming, meditation is good for you, you better do it. Because you've taken it out of actually the enjoyment of it and pushed it, put it into the state of it. It's a should. All right. If you do meditation, you'll get something out of it eventually. That is something you do now for later advantage. And so what we need to do is to change that mindset around into the sense of actually no. The outcome and the benefit of meditation is what we're getting out of it right now. So if we're getting something really marvelous out of our meditation right now, then it should be valuable and worthwhile doing. If we're not getting most great benefit out of it right now, then really what is the point? It's just more promise for something in the future. And that can possibly be a lie. And so naturally doubts are going to be there. The very doubts. So now I'm digging right down into the doubts that we started with 10 minutes ago. Yeah, the doubt about it is, is that, you know, you're right. What is the point? If you're not getting the point out of meditation, then what's the point of it? And they always invariably say, oh, you have to wait until you're dead and the bank burns down and then you can get your money out of the account. You have to wait until you're dead and then you can get your heaven. Or at least you've got to finish first grade before you get the prize and the prize is, guess what, second grade. And you got to go all the way through primary school, and then you graduate from primary school, and guess what your prize is? Middle school. 
And then you graduate from middle school, and guess what? Your prize is high school. And you know where this is going, and that's the whole life. And we wind up at 40 years old with a house and a and trophy wife and a, a buzz wheel car, and we're still never getting that prize that we were looking for someplace. Okay. Now, here's the interesting point is, is that it never is going to come from the outside. It always was going to come from the inside. Even if it's a windfall, an example of that is there used to be a cartoon, not a cartoon, it was actually a television advertisement of a guy who was on Johnny Carson's show, but after the, uh, the, that show finished, he, he went to work for a publishing clearinghouse, and he would show up uh, with the cameras at the door to give away $10 million prize to people who had won the contest of this company. And every time I say that to somebody, they, until this story, they all smile. The thought of $10 million, that's wonderful. But now think about really getting $10 million, and now how many new members of your family do you have? And how many different tax collectors are coming? And who's trying to sell you this, that, and the other car? <laughs> and that most people who go for a windfall like that wind up worse off within three years. They quit their job, they've got a fortune, and now they've made bad investments. And a fool and his money will soon part. But this is what our goals have been. We've been told it all. But the thing that I want to point out to you is, is that just the thought was also pleasurable. But it's the thought of the money that's pleasurable, not the actual money. The money itself is a lot of trouble. <laughs> and with something to worry over. And if it hasn't been stolen yet, it will be, or I'm afraid it will be. You can't trust those investment bankers. You know how crooked they are. Okay. So you see where I'm coming from. Is that once you get the actual money, it actually winds up being a burden. Or the story also is uh, the story of the the prince and the pauper, which became a musical. But uh, I think it was that um, comes out of the Middle Ages anyway. This little urchin of a kid who was really, really, really street smart wound up being caught and accused of being the long-lost prince. And so they put him in the fine robes. They set him down at the fine table. They put all of these armed guards around him, and they taught him how to become a prince, and he hated it. And so he escaped because he found that it was not, in fact, uh, a princely life. It was a prison. That the, that the wealth is actually becomes, people surround themselves with wealth, and it becomes a prison. Lusting for experiences in meditation is also that same kind of prison. So it's dangerous when students have such, such and such experience because then they want it again later. And if, if he who has such and such experience goes and tells his buddy meditator about such and such an experience, then he's spreading his pollution 
and then now the student he told it to wants it too. And everybody goes around lusting for a meditation experience. But a good teacher will say, never mind the experience. It's not about the experience anyway. That in fact, almost always the experience itself is a warping of perception. An example of feeling like that you're 60 feet tall or that you're flying through the air. Well, no, you're not flying through the air. You're still sitting right where you were. If there were a camera watching you, they would not be able to detect the fact that you went into this ecstatic uh, flying feeling state and then back on the floor and the camera can't detect anything that happens, right? It's all right up here. And so when we have such and such experience, we know no need to lust for that. We can say, yeah, I, okay, I did that, went there and did that one. Never mind. Now let's get back to the real job at hand, which is to make sure that we don't get attached to that kind of stuff and start lusting for it and wanting it, that we're still free, that we're okay as we are. So this is the major point about that congratulating ourselves for this moment and what we do in this moment, but then we can let it go. Rather than dragging an old moment up, we've got this one to congratulate ourselves for anew. And so basically we go from one congratulations to another. The Buddha calls this, in fact, gladdening the mind. And in that phrase that we talked about, Aha, I see you, Myra. Every time the hindrance comes up, we can say, ah, gotcha. That's the congratulations. The question is, can we see it and congratulate ourselves? Are we going to watch it sneak up on us and wrestle us to the ground? Because that's how we normally live our lives, is we live our lives with that doubt. And you can see how the doubt can take over. I'm glad that you had enough right view to call because some people will do as far as you've gone and then will come to the conclusion of what's the heck. Because that's actually the right conclusion. The other right collusion, uh, conclusion, the more noble right conclusion, <clears throat> is not the wrong conclusion. The wrong conclusion is if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. You can get it, boy. You go in there and you work really hard and you'll get it, right? Okay, so, no, they won't. Not with that attitude. And so there's a lot of remorse built into that extra force of putting it in. No, the right noble attitude is, never mind, start again. We're up to this. We can handle this. We can see that dukkha. And so we keep looking for it, and when we see it, and we use the, bre the breath as an anchor. So with every breath that comes in and every breath that goes out, the mind can wander away. And we're going to make sure that, oh, no, it don't. And every time it don't, that's twice a minute that you can congratulate yourself. There's another in-breath. Wow. And the out-breath, that was good, too. Oh. And by doing that, we begin to change the way that we feel. And so this is one's right effort. The right effort is, is to gladden the mind. 
to make it sharp and focused to see what's going on. And with that comes that fourth item of the Eightfold Noble Path, and that is one's right attitude. And the attitude that we're working is, is that mostly, in fact, when you have that thought, oh, what's the use? That is coming out of, I'm a victim to this. It's not, it, it's not giving the payoff that I deserve. I've been cheated. That's the victim's attitude. And we need to change that victim's attitude through confidence of actually seeing that we can practice right so that we can say, never mind, start again. I can come back and I can do this. So I've got the beginning of the lion's attitude or the beginning of satisfaction with the can-do attitude. And so when we have these four things together, that will help unify the mind into a place that's making it really fit for work. And that unification of mind then is the object of Manapanasati as a practice in and of itself. But once we get that done, there's more to do. And that is, what are we going to do with this bright, shiny mind that we have? The answer is more investigation. But now we've got a machine that can do the job. And so this is where we're going. Always the way to go is, aha, I can see you, and aha, out you go. And while we're talking about it, these are actually, we, today we've talked about step one of Anapanasati, step three of Anapanasati, just mentioned step two, but we've also been talking about step nine and step ten, especially step ten is uh, that gladdening of the mind that has to do with, aha, I see you, and then the step 13 comes in in the sense that this is dukkha. We can see it. This is it. This is this mind that has changed from the bright and shiny mind that was congratulating itself into, oh me, what's the use? Why bother? And so you just need just a tiny little adjustment and a few holes plugged in, you're good to go. If you've got congratulating yourself down, go with that. Okay. Let's do a lot of it until you begin to say, I don't care how mad or how uh, obstructed the mind gets. I can clean it out. Okay. I can come out of that doubt and I can fix this thing. This thing called me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this thing called the mind. <laughs> so do you have any questions about this um so far as none uh i recognize a lot of things uh when you told me like uh, for example the sitting part of the um the balance part of the mahasi tradition i think i recognize mm-hmm. it for example and uh, it's very interesting it put a lot of my uh experience into words. Okay. Yes. Many, many Western students see that uh, uh, going deep as the way to go, Mm. rather than brightening the mind and make it clear and shiny and perking it up and uh, pulling it out of the garbage. So where going deep means that we're going deep into the garbage. 
And we can get a whole lot of insights in there, but the big insight we need is get the hell out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the big insight, is let's get out of here. <laughs> and yet, mucking around, we do, but we do it at that half-asleep state. We don't really wake up to the fact that this is, let's get out of here. Mm -hmm. So we don't see the hindrances as hindrances. We see them as our teachers, where in fact, no, I know what feeling good is like, and right now this ain't it. So I'm out of here. Uh, one question I have. Um, I really like this talk so far. Uh, I want to ask how is this going in the future? Can I just call whenever I feel like it? or? Yes, that was going to be my next question, was when you call back. I would um, say perhaps maybe twice a week would be good. Okay, okay. The, the, I can think I can fit it in. It's a bit difficult because Germany, has, uh, it's early in the morning here. Um, but I guess two, two times a week would be nice, very nice. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yes, my end of the day is uh, early in the morning for you. <laughs> uh, but on the other end of the scale, I guess nine would be late for you. I'm not sure. Because I'm up about nine in the morning. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or ten, or actually eight. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess that's pretty late. Uh, but yeah, this is, a, this actually will be an okay time to call. Okay. That's nice. Uh, what, what, what's the clock in, in, in Thailand right now? It's five, right? Um, what right time is right it now, Thailand? it is almost 5 p.m. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's 12 here, so it's not that uh, that early. I'm, I didn't catch that. It's 12 o'clock here, so it's not that early. Okay. 12 o'clock. Uh, I think it's... 12 a.m.? 12 a.m. Okay. That's like midnight. Oh, then, then it's uh, 12 p.m. I, I have no clue what p.m. and a.m. What's oh, the difference? A.m. means uh, starting at midnight until noon. Okay. Or, and then p.m. is from 12 noon to midnight. That's a.m. and p.m. Okay. It's 12 so, noon here. So 20 hundred hours would be 8 p.m. Okay, okay. Ah. Okay. And so, so it's, it, it's noon your place, huh? Yeah. So that's five hours. Is, is this going well, to that's not, you don't have to get up so early. No, no, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I'm awake for a few hours. I've been awake for a few hours. That's not like okay. I just woke up. All right. Well, it would be easier on me if you called a little earlier. I, I, can, I can manage that. All right. Okay. Well, I'm glad to see you, and I hope we become good friends. It was very nice. Have a nice day. Okay, you too. Bye.